the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Joel not only looks in his own day and says, hey, locust, that was God's judgment. You guys are rebelling against him. You guys are, are sinning against him. He also looks to a future day. And he says, well, the day of the Lord is coming. And here we are now reading this some, some 2,700 years later. And this still applies. Because where there's sin and disobedience to the Lord, it must be met with his judgment. Otherwise, he would not be a just and holy God. Do you believe that God is only about loving people and providing good things to his children and that he does not allow punishment and judgment? Maybe you were taught that if you are a good person, then your good works will outweigh your bad works. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that God's judgment follows the disobedience of his people. Your sin will result in punishment if you don't make things right with God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joel as he begins his message, When God Relents. out the Old Testament by looking at these last 12 books of the Old Testament, a section of the Bible known as the Minor Prophets. Now, I mentioned last week, I'm going to say again today, and maybe I'll say it one more time, uh, the Minor Prophets versus the Major Prophets of the Bible. It's not like the Minor Prophets just weren't good enough to play ball with the Major Prophets. It's not baseball. This is just simply called the minor prophet section of your Bibles because the minor prophets tended to write books that were shorter and whose messages were more succinct. So uh, rather than make any kind of a lengthy series like we did through the book of Daniel to get through all that information, the minor prophets can be summarized more easily. So I'm going to be doing that as we round out the Old Testament. We're, we're going to look at these last 12 books of the Bible, the minor prophets taking one book a week. So last week was Hosea. Today we come to the book of Joel. A little bit of background on Joel before we actually read and get into today's study. Uh, we don't know anything about Joel. I mean, there's just, there's no other information. He's, he's not quoted anywhere else in the Bible. There's, there's no background to this guy's life. We know nothing other than the fact it mentions in chapter 1, verse 1. If you just take a quick glance, it tells us that he's the son of Pethuel. So we know his dad's name. That's it. 
And Pethuel in Hebrew means persuaded of God. But we don't even know anything more about his dad either. So there's nothing in the Bible that helps us to understand Joel. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what years he prophesied. We don't know what kings were reigning at the time of his ministry. We don't know if he was married and had children. We, we know nothing about this guy. What we do know is his name. His name is given to us here, but there's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. And so his name is really with a Y. It's Yoel. And Yoel puts the emphasis on the E-L because anytime you see a prefix or a suffix to a word with E-L, it is always a reference to Elohim, the name of God. And so Yoel in Hebrew means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. It's a very strong name. Now, since there is no reference point about the time or date of Joel's ministry, uh, the best we can do is to try to figure it out based on a comparison between a verse in Joel and a verse in the next book, which is the book of Amos, another prophet. Because if you'll notice in your Bibles, if you want to take just a quick glance with me at Joel chapter 3, and you look at verse 16... The first part of verse 16 in chapter 3 just says this, The Lord also will roar from Zion. You know, he is the lion of, of Judah. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Okay, now if you go over a page and look at Amos, the next prophet, and Amos chapter 1 verse 2, it's almost identical language. In Amos 1-2, it says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. It's almost word for word. So the way that the book of Joel ends is the way that the book of Amos begins, which Bible scholars say is a little bit insight as to perhaps the time that Joel ministered, because it probably means he was a contemporary with Amos. Well, we do know from Amos that he ministered during the time of the reign of King Uzziah. That places Amos' ministry, and then likewise probably Joel's ministry, in the middle of the 8th century B.C. So we're talking roughly 750 B.C. This is about 150 years before the Babylonian invasion of the southern kingdom of Judah. So again, your Bibles are not necessarily in chronological order. When we were in the book of Daniel a few weeks ago, that was during the time of the Babylonian invasion. Well, the book of Joel predates the Babylonian invasion by about 150 years So this is not in chronological order. And the audience that Joel ministered to, again, remember during this time of history that Israel is a divided nation. You have 10 of the Jewish tribes living in the north, known by the larger name Israel. You have two tribes living in the south, known as Judah. And Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah in the south. And it appears that Joel's ministry was directed to them, the southern kingdom of Judah, because he makes several references to Zion, which is a reference to Jerusalem. He talks about the priests and their duty in Jerusalem at the house of God. And he mentions God's holy hill. And he mentions Jerusalem by name. And so it indicates to us he's probably ministering to the southern kingdom. I'm going to read here from Joel chapter 1, and then we're going to skip and read a little bit in chapter 2 as well. So if you'll turn back to chapter 1, let me read the first four verses. The word of the Lord that came to Joel son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. 
Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. And then here's, here's what he wants them to always retell and remember. Verse 4. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Jump over to chapter 2 and look at verse 12. Chapter 2, 12 says, Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And then finally, still in chapter 2, look at verse 28, and we'll we'll look at uh, verse 28 through the end of this chapter. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. By the way, Peter quotes this in the book of Acts chapter 2 in regards to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and subsequent to that day, the availability of the baptism of the Holy Spirit even for us today. So Joel writes about this. Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2 about how your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Verse 29, and also on my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, future, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Well, I'm going to give you the summary purpose of the book of Joel right at the beginning so we can understand where we're heading for you note takers. The purpose of the book of Joel is to warn people about a coming day of judgment and to encourage people about a gracious God who responds to repentance. That's basically what this book is about. Now, as is typical of Old Testament prophets, uh, there is a contemporary as well as a prophetic element to what they wrote. In other words, their ministry, this is, this is pretty much for all the Old Testament prophets, their ministry was directed both to their own generation, but then there's also an element to the prophets that was prophetic, thus they're called prophets, that pointed to a time in the future. And in Joel's case, some of the things he says applies to the times and the people of his day, and some of the things he says applies to our day and even beyond. Some of the things that he prophesies here in these three short chapters have to do with the future even beyond our day. And so what the book of Joel is about is what would occur in his own day and what will occur in our day and beyond our day concerning the judgment of God. And so he starts out here by addressing his own generation, by talking about something that occurred in their past, and it appears that it was in their immediate past, in in their recent past, that God had expressed his judgment against the people for their idolatry and for their rebellion against God in the form of a very devastating invasion of locusts. If you'll go back to chapter 1, when we read the reference here to 
these locusts. And by the way, Joel kind of writes here in the different stages of the development of a locust. Uh, he's talking literally. This is not figurative language. There was apparently in Joel's day or, you know, shortly just before uh, a devastating invasion of locusts and Joel writes about it to let the people know this is actually an expression of God's judgment against you. So back in chapter 1, verse 2, he, he asks the question, uh, has anything like this happened? Notice past tense, it has happened. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? He's like, can you think of another time when something so devastating like this has happened, this kind of freak invasion of locusts, because because it was so unusual that it's not a common occurrence, Joel was trying to get them to realize, you, you realize that this is God trying to get your attention here. And, and then he adds the whole thing about the different developmental levels of, in a locust. He goes in, in verse 4, he goes, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten, and what the swarming locust left, and again, this is past tense, the crawling locust has eaten, and what the crawling locust left the consuming locust has eaten. You know, I, I, I don't know that any one stage of a locust is good there. I, you know, I, don't want the, I don't want the swarming. I don't want the crawling. I don't want the consuming. But here they are, and they've invaded the land. Now, the people of Joel's day would have understood that because this is not a common occurrence, this is God trying to get our attention. You know, what will come later, because unfortunately, they don't get the little wake-up calls. This is a little wake-up call compared to what's coming. The Assyrian army is going to come to the north. The Babylonian empire is going to come in the form of an army to the south. This is mild in comparison to that. You know, this is often the way that God deals with us. He gives us these little nudges every once in a while before the hammer has to come down. If we don't respond to the little nudges, then guess what? It hurts more. And so what he's doing at this point is, here's some locusts. I want to get your attention. Here's what's happening. Do you see the devastation? Do you know it's from my hand? Now, here's why they would also know this is from the hand of God. Because God spelled it out clearly in the Old Testament books, and particularly Deuteronomy chapter 28. When God was bringing the Israelites into the promised land, he gave instructions for belief and behavior in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And in particular, in the book of Deuteronomy, God instructs Moses, I want you to write down, it's Deuteronomy chapter 28, I want you to write down, here is what's going to happen in terms of blessings if you obey me when you get into the land. And here's what's going to happen in terms of curses if you disobey me when you get into the land. And so Deuteronomy 28 is a whole chapter devoted to the blessings and curses from God, depending on whether or not a person obeyed or disobeyed him. So the first part of Deuteronomy 28, it's just wonderful. It reads wonderfully. It's just, you know, here's all the blessings of God. Here's what God's going to do. You obey me. Here's how I'm going to take care of you. Here's how I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to keep you well. But then it shifts. Listen to this. You don't need to turn there. Deuteronomy 28, 15. But it shall come to pass that if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then there's a list. And in the list we find in Deuteronomy 28, 38, hear this. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little, like no harvest, for the locust shall consume it. 
Okay, and also in Deuteronomy 28, verse 42, locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. So it's clearly spelled out in the law. God's like, if you mess with me, you disobey me, you rebel against me, locusts are going to come and destroy all the vegetation, and it's going to wreck you agriculturally, economically, it's going to devastate you personally, maybe then you'll look up to me. Okay, so this is what is happening here, and Joel is addressing this, and he's like, has anything like this ever happened? Can any of you people remember when anything like this has ever happened? And he spells out, actually, in chapter 1, different people who get impacted by this invasion of locusts in different ways. I find some of this a little amusing. For example, in chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about how even the drunks are all upset. Why? Because the locusts have destroyed the vineyard. And when they destroy the vineyard, there's no more grapes. When there's no more grapes, there's no more wine. So he's, in, in verse 5 of chapter 1, he's like, even you drunks, you're all upset, aren't you? Because there's no bubbly for you. And he mentions in verses 7 and 8, he says, the land is mourning like a woman whose husband died. In verses 9 through 11, he addressed priests and farmers. He said, the priests are all upset because nobody's bringing any grain offering to the house of God in worship of the Lord. And part of that grain offering the Levites could take as their provision. Well, there's, there's no wheat harvest. There's no barley. There's nothing growing anymore because the locusts have destroyed it. No grain offerings are coming in. No drink offerings to the house of God because for the same reasons, the vineyards have been destroyed. The farmers are grieving as a result also. Their livelihood is, is in the tank because of the locusts. And in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, even the cattle moan and the sheep suffer because there's no pasture to graze. This is how devastating it was. Now, when the Bible speaks about locusts, it's not talking about, don't think cicada, all right? Think grasshopper. The last major swarm of locusts recorded in Israel was 1915. Um, National Geographic ran a story on this 1915 swarm of locusts in Israel in the account, in the National Geographic account, John Whiting wrote in National Geographic that the locusts were so voracious and numerous that they, quoting now, they could swarm over an unguarded infant and devour its eyes within a few minutes. A swarm of locusts can cover up to 460 square miles and there can be 80 to 160 million locusts in one square mile. In 2004, one swarm in Morocco was measured at 142 miles long and contained an estimated 69 billion locusts. One million locusts gobble as much food as 5,000 people eat in a day. A locust can eat up to its weight each day, so a swarm of locusts can easily eat more than 400 million pounds of plants in a single day. So, when we talk about an invasion of locusts, that's what we're talking about. You know, don't think, oh, that 17-year cicada event, that's a nuisance. Yeah, that's a nuisance. That's all that is. But for them, in this day, an invasion of locusts was devastating. It was devastating on the earth. It was the destruction of all vegetation. It was a disaster economically and agriculturally, and it left the people in great 
despair. So when Joel comes along here and says the invasion of these locusts is specifically the result of your violation of obeying God's commands, it's Deuteronomy 28 fulfilled. They would have understood this. They would get this. So he speaks about God's judgment in the form of these locusts. It's what happened. It's past tense. Now he switches to future tense in chapter 2. If you look with me in your Bibles at chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Notice the tenses change. Now it's, it is coming. The day of the Lord. Underline that phrase in your Bible. Joel uses it five times. Do you know in the entire Old Testament, that phrase, the day of the Lord, is only used 17 times. Five of those 17 times are contained in this little book of Joel, just three chapters. The day of the Lord speaks about, it's a phrase that is commonly used in reference to the coming of the Lord. It's not a, necessarily a specific day, although it can be. But it also can measure time in terms of a particular season, a particular event. And in general, when Joel here talks about the day of the Lord is coming, he's speaking about future tense, the judgment of God that will be expressed in a parallel way, only in a much more severe way than an invasion of locusts. An invasion of locusts, devastating, it's terrible. But in comparison to what's coming... Because God will bring his judgment upon the earth, you can't even make a comparison. The day of the Lord is coming. And that whole reference refers to the tribulation period. It refers to the return of Christ. It refers to a new heaven, new earth. It refers in general to the coming of the Lord and the judgment that will accompany him because of a rebellious people who have forsaken him and disobeyed him. So Joel not only looks in his own day and says, hey, locusts, that was God's judgment. You guys are rebelling against him. You guys are, are sinning against him. He also looks to a future day. And he says, well, the day of the Lord is coming. And here we are now reading this some, some 2,700 years later. And this still applies. Because where there's sin and disobedience to the Lord, it must be met with his judgment. Otherwise, he would not be a just and holy God. If God winked at our disobedience and did nothing about it, he would not be a just and holy God. And so our sin will result in our punishment, our judgment, if we don't get right with him. And so the same message applies, whether it's 750 BC or whether it's 2019 or on. God is saying his judgment is coming. If we don't get right with him, we will suffer the consequences. So this is what he refers to here in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Also verse 2 says, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. And so, in the near interpretation, Joel may be referring to, hey, the, the Babylonian army is going to be coming here. But in the distant interpretation, he's referring to the Battle of Armageddon and the coming armies that will converge in the Valley of Jezreel to fight against God and to fight against Israel and to fight against everything that stands for God and 
everyone who worships Jesus. The warnings and prophecies found in the minor prophet books can be intense, but they remind you of one thing. God is patient. He doesn't exact judgment on those who have sinned immediately. Instead, God shows mercy. He gives you ample time to come to Him in repentance, handing the wrongs you've committed over to Him and letting His love restore you. Because of that love for His creation, God sent His only Son to die on the cross in your place, taking your sins with Him. Jesus' death provides you the opportunity at a new life and forgiveness for all your wrongs. Are you ready to come to Jesus in repentance today and receive this grace? We'd like to talk more with you, so please give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. We also want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45 a.m., as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. If you're not able to be with us in person, we do offer each service online as well. Again, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to connect. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary's message. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know.